Hello and welcome to a sassy little podcast for getting over it. I'm your host, Sandra Ann Miller. Today we're talking about getting the F over gaslighting because, well, 2020. Our guest is someone we know. Dr. Stephanie Sarkis talked with us last month about getting over apologizing and seeing that as a weakness. During that conversation, we touched on the subject of gaslighting, something we have all experienced at this point. Dr. Sarkis is a best-selling author and psychotherapist specializing in anxiety, gaslighting, narcissistic abuse, and ADHD. And her latest book is Gaslighting, Recognize Manipulative and Emotionally Abusive People and Break Free. Welcome back, Dr. Sarkis. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the podcast again. Absolutely. We should have had a much deeper conversation about this in the first place, but I would like to kind of break down the difference between manipulation, lying, and gaslighting, because I think the term gaslighting can be misused, and when you overuse or misuse a word, it kind of loses its power. You you dilute mm-hmm. the meaning, and it's such a bad thing, so I kind of want to get it straight. So to me, there's a difference. And manipulation, it's kind of like once upon a time, it was probably a survival skill. And maybe in some ways it still is. And it's fairly benign. We all do it. Lying is a little bit more awful, but it's you know kind of used in the same way to get what we want or get out of something. And gaslighting is kind of like a combination of both. And while they're all tools to control, even when it's small and petty, there is a difference. So I'm just going to use like a really terrible analogy because I'm pretty good at terrible analogies. So let's say your partner wants to have Mexican food for dinner, but you want Italian. So a manipulation would be, you know, say that you actually did have Mexican food for lunch. And in California, we can pretty much have it for all three meals and happy hour and maybe even dessert. So a manipulation would be, gee, honey, while tilting your head and batting your eyes, I had Mexican food for lunch. Can we have something else for dinner? Maybe Italian, you know, that's a subtle manipulation. Like I said, this is a bad analogy. Lying, (laughs) lying would be that you had Greek food for lunch, but you still tell your partner, honey, I had Mexican food for lunch. Can we have something different for dinner? Maybe Italian? Okay, so that's a lie. Gaslighting would be That restaurant never existed. Right, right. I never never went there. Well, it, it would be- Mexican food. I hate Mexican food. You know, I hate Mexican food. Why would you ever even suggest Mexican food to me? And then I'm going to ignore you for like a week. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then you're caught mowing down on a plate of tacos while shoving chips and guac in your mouth Mm -hmm. and then say Mexican food. I love Mexican food. You know, I love Mexican food. I've always loved Mexican food. I would never say I hate Mexican food. You must be crazy. So that's my very bad analogy theater. No, that actually works really well. I like that kind of food genre analogy. That's pretty good. Yeah. Because we, it's a thing of, of, yeah, like what you saw and what you heard aren't what happened. It's a very systematic way of lying. Mm-hmm. So we look at manipulation. I mean, we see manipulation and, and you know, persuasion. There's a really good book by uh, Robert Cialdini. It's C-I- a-L-D-I-N-I called Persuasion. Mm-hmm. And that book is all about how um, how media and advertising 
use persuasion because that's a, that's a huge part of advertising, right? It's right. like they're selling, like I think of Mad Men when they sell, we're selling happiness right. to people, you know? So, uh, so, and also manipulation isn't always a negative. Mm-hmm. Um, when I worked in case management, when I first got out of grad school, um, I worked with kids that were aging out of the foster system. So they were uh, turning 18 and, and, yeah, manipulation. My remember my supervisor was saying, you know, that was that was a strength. Like we had to write down like what their strengths and challenges were and the paperwork. And she said, you know, manipulation is actually a strength in that because you know what you need and who to go to to get it. Right. It's as a far survival as you know, skill. How to survive. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but gaslighting. There's really not a good way to put a positive spin on gaslighting, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, you can say also, you know, lying is like, you know, when, when your friend says, Oh, do you like the shirt on me? And you go, sure. You look great in that shirt where you're like, that shirt totally looks terrible. So that's <laughs> lying too. Yeah. That's the, the white lies. Right. So, so then the, then we get to gaslighting, which is a systematic way of making somebody question the reality. Mm-hmm. And when they question the reality, they rely on you more for your version of reality. And that's kind of where, a gaslighter slash narcissist slash sociopath wants you is in a vulnerable place. Right. You need to rely on them more and more and you become dependent on them. Right. And it's, it's also a a power play at at the end of Mm -hmm. the day. And so I've shared on the podcast before that I come from a mother who was verbally and emotionally abusive Mm -hmm. and the gaslighting really came in to when I would state reality. You did this, you said this, this was what caused me pain. And when you have that kind of abuse, it really is hard to articulate to other people because you just sound like you're overly sensitive or you've taken things out of context or you know you're looking you're looking for drama. I was always accused of being dramatic. But there was one time where and I think I was a senior in high school and well prior to that when you get a gaslighter to agree to reality it's kind of a big deal. Like when my mother and I could both agree that this happened, you said this, this was a thing. I kind of tucked that in my pocket like a little card I could play later because we agreed this is reality did occur. So there was a situation when I was a senior in high school where um, my favorite cousin, who was my second cousin, my mother's first cousin, we were both close with her. And she kind of wanted to mediate while she was visiting, like saying, you know, you, you need to just love your mother. She's the, she's the only mother you're ever going to have. You know, how can you treat her this way? Meaning I'm going to tell the truth. And I would say to my cousin, you know, I'm her only daughter. How could she treat me this way? And she did this and she said this, and this is what happened. And, you know, stating facts that were agreed upon and my mother to her credit. And this was the first time, like, I really saw this. She was able to well up her eyes and mm-hmm. say, how could you say, how could you ever say those things, Sandra? How could you ever say those things? I, I would never do that. I would never say that. And I'm standing there with my mouth hanging open going, holy right. shit, like nominate this woman for an Oscar. But that was when I really realized the level of manipulation and lying and gaslighting that my mother would go to, to maintain that control over me and our situation. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it wasn't like relying upon her for reality. It was her relying upon the gaslighting of other people to undermine me 
and my authority. And to of, shape her image. Yeah. Yes. And so it was really just, I mean, because I will say probably the entirety of my extended family thinks I'm mentally unstable and a liar and all sorts of problems because that's what she manufactured. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was only some 20 years later that my cousin came to me and said, it finally happened to me. I finally saw it. And I'm so sorry. I didn't ah. believe you then. And oh, that was really good of her to say that yeah. to you. Yeah, no, I appreciated mm. it. They had had a falling out. My mother wasn't speaking to her. My mother is also very good at bringing people back in after a falling mm -hmm. out. Like she controls that. She Hoovering. decides she, yeah. yes, she decides, exactly. She decides when you're out and then she'll draw you back in. Mm. So unfortunately, my cousin is again, friends with her and they're close again. So I have to back off from that relationship because I've found for me that when when you're dealing with somebody like that, when you're dealing with that level of a gaslighter, it's very hard to have any relationship with anyone in their orbit because mm -hmm. all that is is a way to extract information from me to right. get it to my mother. So it's just flying monkeys. Kind. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yes. No, I love your book. So we're going to talk about flying monkeys. We're going to talk about hoovering. And but yeah, so so that to me is a little bit more of the the gaslighting that we'll get from our family or people in our lives like that. And then we've also had the gaslighting on a huge national scale for the last four years that just really kind of went berserk in 2020. Yeah. And that, and we talked about that in the episodes on before mm -hmm. this, uh, the four years of gaslighting that we've endured. And I think it's made a lot of people realize I've noticed in my practice, a lot of people realize that um, that they've been undergoing gaslighting and they've been a victim of it or survivor of it. Mm -hmm. And and your, your story is, is you're not alone in that a lot of people have experienced this from caregivers, parents, siblings, people in the relationship, uh, you know, a variety of different people where you're told that this didn't happen mm -hmm. and you're also being sent messages from other people you know the flying monkeys and that refers to wizard of oz right uh, where the, the flying monkeys would deliver messages for the wicked witch right so uh they'll say well you know like, like your your aunt for example where she said or was it your cousin your aunt, cousin, your cousin yeah cousin that said well how could you do this to your mom and you know blah blah, blah. or they'll say well you, you know she really wants a good relationship with you i don't should just call her because sometimes they, they unwittingly are doing it because mm -hmm. they have been told a certain narrative. Uh, and then there's other times where there's a concerted effort to bring you kind of back into the fold. But right. what you trade by going back into the fold and feeling that sense of belonging again is you need to buy into the gaslighter's narrative to get back right. into the fold. And not being in the fold and believing your truth can be very isolating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm especially when they've been told that they're crazy or that they're too sensitive. Like you mentioned, I hear that from a lot of people. They're told they're too sensitive, um, that nobody will believe them anyway. People are told that. So it's, it can be a real struggle reforming your sense of identity when you've been in a family where there's gaslighting and you're told that you must buy into it in order to feel a sense of belonging. Right. And, and that's, that's really what it is. You just, you kind of have to toe the party line mm -hmm. and we get that in, 
there's some gaslighting that goes on in school, in the workplace. It's not uncommon, but we we tend to either ignore it or forgive it or just move away from it, which is if you can if you can get away from it, great. So we don't necessarily label it as such. Mm-hmm. But you know, like the mean girls, that kind of thing is it's a bit of gaslighting, making stuff mm-hmm. up, altering reality, right. and undermining the credibility of somebody else. Right. With a goal of control. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yes. the more control you have over that narrative, the more power you have. Yes. So it's kind of crazy making. Mm-hmm. Intentionally so. Right. And the For those who may not realize it, this isn't just a term that came up out of the blue because of politics. This is based on a play that I think was from 1938. Mm -hmm. I think there was a movie that came out in 1940, but it was the 1944 version with um, Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer and Joseph Cotton and Dame Mae Whitty that really brought it to our attention. And if you haven't seen the movie... I want you to put the podcast on pause. I want you to go and watch it because we're about to give a bunch of spoilers. And it's it's (laughs) incredible, an incredible piece of cinema that really you will enjoy. It stands up today. But this is kind of the definition of gaslighting. And we were using the term, I know that I was exposed to the term in the 90s. So this this term has been there before it, it fell into the dictionary and it fell into like our everyday language. And I do hate to say it, but this is like everyday language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because every day we are brought a new piece of gaslighting. Right. And it's it's just ridiculous. But in the film, this set in what the 1800s? Yeah. I'm not really good with like timelines in history. It's like <laughs> prohibition. It's like, well, it's like that nebulous kind of older movie it could right. be 18 it could be 19th century it could be 20th early 20th century right that kind, you know well it's london and they still have gas lamps right. there we go there we go that's that's the <laughs> the chronological space yeah exactly and so part of what happens is ingrid bergman's marries this complete jerk and he is setting out basically to drive her insane all so he can find this treasure and Each night he goes out to his studio to work, and while he is out, she hears noises. And it sounds like somebody's in the attic, which they boarded up, and the other symptom is the gaslight dims and flickers, like someone else has turned on gas someplace else. But that's impossible, because she's just home with the hard-of-hearing housekeeper. And Angela Lansbury's first role, she's also a... A housekeeper and she's always out every night because she's young and pretty so it's all set up to drive her insane she loses things well he's taking things from her putting them someplace else finding them later telling her things didn't happen blah 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 so if again sorry i ruined the film for you if you didn't listen to me and put it on pause but here we go but yeah after like after what like 80 years i think spoilers are allowed <laughs> I still want people to see the film. So that's where the term comes from. And at the end, he's exposed. But even as the reality sets in, she's still questioning it because, you know, how could this be? You still aren't Mm -hmm. trusting yourself because you've put your faith into somebody else. And even when the truth is right in front of you, you have a hard time believing it. And that is basically our nation right now. 
The facts are there and people are still refusing to believe them because they've been told so long that we have the truth. Don't believe anything that doesn't come directly from us. We have the truth. And, you know, now we've got a nation that's basically broken because facts aren't facts. Science isn't science. And news really isn't news. All they watch is propaganda. So it's we're in a really hard time. We all need I think a that lot has been shifting somewhat, though, I would say. A little, um, bit. a little bit. I think that especially with COVID and that people are seeing the reality of, you know, 300,000 people dead. Mm-hmm. Um, people that may have thought it was a, you know, I put in air quotes, hoax, are finding that there are lifetime health effects from it. Yes. And I think that's kind of, that I've noticed that's changed that's really opened some people's eyes to what the reality is of this virus. And yes. I think, you know, it's unfortunate that it took that um, for a lot of people to realize how detrimental it was, but I, I'm seeing it change. So hopefully when a new administration comes in, we'll start seeing more change. Now that there's always, you know, I, I always think of the quote that my, my psychologist friend said that, you know, there's always going to be 25% of people that are on like the extreme end of things. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to have people that don't believe the mainstream or believe science or whatever. But I think the issue with the administration currently is that they, they amplify that as truth. Mm-hmm. So you've always had people that, you know, like even the 1918 flu epidemic, people that didn't want to wear masks and thought it was right. a hoax. And there are always going to be people like that. But you know, again, the administration is the one that kind of well, propagates this right word, but um, well, they set they, the tone. They set the tone. Right. Exactly. So I think that's the bigger issue is that gaslighting was normalized mm-hmm. as a way of being. And when you call reputable news agencies, fake news, it really sets again, the tone of, Here's a person that is the the most powerful person in the country telling you that you should not trust these news sources that have been around for years and and fact check and you know, and so when you have people that already maybe lean that way and then here's a powerful person that's endorsing it mm-hmm. then I think you start getting more into you know that gaslighting of the people because you're always going to have a certain segment of people that will lean one way or the other. But again, this kind of added fuel to it. Right. And from that, we kind of got this whole QAnon thing, mm-hmm. which is just a whole other level. Right. And yeah, things like that have been around for, for a long time in history. It's just that, you know, when you have, again, a leader that, that promotes it, mm-hmm. um, then it becomes more in the mainstream. But those things have always been there. So gaslighting's always been there. Yes. Uh, it's just we're seeing on national stage. And then there are countries that have been through this too, this kind of autocratic gaslighting stuff um, with pretty disastrous consequences for the citizens. So this has been, you know, what's the saying? It's like, if, if you don't learn history, you're doomed to repeat it. Right. So, you know, this kind of song and dance has been done before many times over the centuries. When we have that type of government, again, it's hard to see it normalized Mm -hmm. because, you know, we looking back and see where this is headed. Yes. And to have someone that's in power, that's gaslighting, that's being an autocrat, 
dispute election results when those election results were found to be fine um, is a very common. (laughs) Right. I think they've, I think at this point they've lost like 63 court cases and they've won one, but it was like just a tiny one. Um, But this is something we've seen for years. Uh, And, and again, we usually don't see in the U S this is, you see this in autocratic countries. Um, So that's one of the chapters in gaslighting is I write about, you know, autocratic leaders and how they can very easily manipulate people. And I think that that one of the things to remember is that none of us are immune to gaslighting. You you may think that you know human behavior and that you know when someone's manipulating you, but this is a very slow, insidious process. Mm -hmm. And so you don't realize until you're in it that it's happening to you because you're told the beginning, like in a relationship, how great you are. And this person wants to be with you all the time. And that's a love bombing stuff, right? You know, that you're the best thing ever. And yeah, that feels really good. It feels good to have someone tell you that stuff, but then once they feel like they've got you, then it starts changing. Mm-hmm. Then that's withdrawn and, and brains try to make sense of, wait a second, you gave me all this good stuff and now you're withdrawing it. So therefore it must be me because that's what brains think, right? Because it doesn't right. make logical sense that someone would bestow all this goodness upon you and then automatically withdraw it. You blame yourself. And that I think is, is probably most people would do that. Um, So it's very normal for you to go, what did I do? And then the gaslighter will say something like, well, you know, that's for you to figure out if you can't figure out why I did that, then, you know, you must not care enough or something like that. Um, so that's how it starts. So, so that's a really important thing to notice is that it's not, it's not like us and them. It's like everybody's vulnerable to this to some degree. Right. Especially when you trust somebody and we have a lot of right. trust in our government and we do think we're the greatest nation in the world and, you know, we've got it on lock. Like we are impervious to damage and mm-hmm. anybody that's really been political for any period of time, we've seen this coming and the apathy for our politics is really what has been relied upon because mm-hmm. people don't vote. They just trust that somebody else, well, my vote doesn't matter. It's just going to go this way. And, it's all the same. And the positive thing that's come out of this is that we had so many more people vote than before. So, so yes. to look on the, on the flip side of it is that this has really made people more politically active. It's really drawn attention to uh, disenfranchised voters. It's drawn attention to, Uh, you know, gerrymandering where Mm -hmm. the district is made up a certain way to lean a certain political affiliation. So I think it's really brought to light the, the racial bias in voting, uh, meaning that, that voting systems are set up. So, so particularly people don't have a voice. Right. And that has been going on for years. Um, So I think the positive that's come out of this is that has become much more apparent to people. Well, I have to say that that is probably much more about us being in a pandemic and being on lockdown and finally having mm-hmm. the time to really pay That's attention. That's a good point. Yeah. Because I think, you know, we're very capitalist. So mm-hmm. it's all about things and buying and getting and acquiring, which means you have to work a lot. And when you work a lot, you're exhausted. And all you want to do is relax. You don't want to think about more stuff. You don't want to watch the news. You don't want to read the paper. You just want to work, consume, and rest, and that's right. it. And you don't really right. want to work, but you have to. So I, I think the 
one of the very, very, very few blessings that came out of the pandemic was awareness and having that time to kind of really let things soak in and see, wow, I kind of knew about this, but but now I'm really seeing it and I'm seeing this horrible repercussion from it. I need to do something about it and understanding how important our vote is and how important being politically aware is and being politically assertive is Mm -hmm. not just for the individual, but the community and beyond. So Mm -hmm. we're a little bit more awake in that regard, but I think if it wasn't for COVID, it would have been a very different election because there was still all of that apathy. And I hope that I'm wrong about that. But now we have seen in 2020, all of the gaslighting, all of the bullshit, all of the blatant lies and how that's been successful. Because even if we're on the other side of it, if you're watching a certain party or a QAnon, or we're seeing how like, you know, Nexium and, and this thing and the other thing, we're watching a lot of documentaries. We're reading a lot of books. We're getting educated. Finally. Yay. On all of these things so we can kind of emerge from it a lot stronger and a lot less tolerant for the bullshit and the gaslighting and calling it out. Mm-hmm. My sort of heartbreak is no one was really calling it out in real time. I think there are people that were, but I think, again, it was not listened to as much. or done enough. Right. Because again, this is a, this is a slower process and we have kind of habituated ourselves to thinking that this is how government works. And for all intents and purposes, it has worked that way for years. It's worked for them. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, well, I think overall, we, we also put, a, I think as, as citizens, mm-hmm. we tend to assume that things are going to go a certain way. Right. And you know, one of the things that came up, I think several times was that, you know, when Trump would do certain things, it was like, well, there's not a rule saying he can't do that. Like, um, like releasing tax returns, it was just assumed. And I don't think there's ever been a candidate before Trump that would not release a major party candidate would not release his returns, right? Or her returns. And so when he refused to release them, there was really nothing saying there's no law saying he had to. And so I think we, we had a we had faith in the system, to some degree, that our candidates would kind of do that. And we realized that the structure for that was done through tradition, not through enforceable rules. So I think that's one thing that's going to come out of this too, is I think there might be some change in rules as to what is to be expected of you and what you'll follow through on. Yes. But it used to be that the party and the other candidates that you were, you know, campaigning against at that time would demand it just as a sense Mm -hmm. of honor a a sense Mm -hmm. of integrity. And that is what disappeared. So anyone that was campaigning against him or, you know, trying to get the party ticket, I mean, let's put it this way. Back in the day, it was the Republicans that told Nixon, you're, you're going to jail. Like we can't save you and nor do we want to. This was repugnant. You need to leave, sir. That didn't happen here. And there was enough. There was too much that they should have said no at the start and they didn't. And so that's Mm -hmm. sort of where my frustration is. At no point did anyone draw the line saying, our integrity for this party would be that you adhere to this gentleman's Mm -hmm. agreement, for lack of a better Well, and you saw what happened, like when Romney spoke out 
And right. you saw that he was roundly punished. Yes. Um, and so there, and so that's part of gaslighting too, is a fear of if you stand up to the person gaslighting is that they will punish you oh, and yes. they will burn everything down to the ground, including trying to destroy your reputation uh, by lying about you. Uh, and so you, there is a very real fear. Like I, I or somebody just recently said on Twitter, you know, how about just ignoring gas, like in relationships, <laughs> not, not in government, but how about just, you know, why don't people just ignore them? And I said, because if you ignore them, they punish you. Mm-hmm. And so that fear is very real. I mean, to the point where people are punished, whether you're never going to see your kids again, I'm going to take your pet, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, because gaslighters, once they, once you call them out on their, their game, the mask comes off and then they move into kind of damage control mode. And that includes mm-hmm. trying to keep you quiet. Right. So, you know, but going back to politics again, you saw what happened. I think there were like two or three GOP that spoke out and, and there were there were consequences for them. So it was it was very much a thing of of if you're going to speak out, this is what's going to happen to you. Right. But it was the entire party that could have should have done it, and especially right. at the beginning. And that's I think it's important of- to know why. I think it's important to know why. Now, part of it could be I'm not going to say that they're not responsible. They're totally responsible. 100, 110 percent. Right. <laughs> but I I think that when you did have people speak out and they were punished, you can see why when people are in the situation with gaslighters that are abusive, mm-hmm. why it's so hard to speak out. And I have people say to me, well, why would someone stay in a relationship with someone like that? It's because you know, a lot of people get threatened. Uh, they're threatened with, you know, again, ruining their career, ruining their, their personal life, mm-hmm. you know, taking things away from like their kids or pets. And so we need to really be compassionate towards people in relationships with gaslighters and not judge why they return. Because Absolutely. the most lethal time when you leave an abusive relationship, because gaslighting is emotional abuse, mm-hmm. is when you're planning to leave or when you've left. Right. Very much and, so. And that what looks like love in the beginning of a relationship can turn into power and control really easily. And again, your brain can't figure out why did someone put me on this pedestal and now, now I've been totally devalued and discarded. Yes. So I think that's an important thing to look at is that is that anybody is susceptible to this. And especially if you're, if you're vulnerable, meaning that if you've been through grief, you're vulnerable mm-hmm. to a sociopath, narcissist, gaslighter um, you know, targeting you. If you have anxiety or depression or ADHD or anything that, that, that makes you feel like one step outside yourself, mm-hmm. they kind of sense that. Yes. And I think also I would say like helping professions, um, like teachers, counselors, uh, medical professionals, like that they also may be targeted because they're more likely to see the good in people mm-hmm. and not look so much at the negative or just believe that people can change. I mean, I wouldn't be in the business I was in if I didn't think that people could change their behavior, right? Right. So, so I think that the gaslighters, narcissists, sociopaths, I put this all together, but um, they will do kind of these tests to see how how much you're going to respond to their attempts to see how vulnerable you are and how accepting you are of mm-hmm. things. And I think that's important to look at. So we know from the start, what's a tip off to that. And mm-hmm. that could be doing a lot of pity stuff like, oh, you know, this, you know, it's woes me, mm-hmm. but you'll see gaslighters do stuff like, well, you know, at work, um, you know, my boss did this, then my coworker did this, and then they let me go. And that wasn't fair. And there's no personal responsibility taken. Right. 
and there's a and there's an attempt to garner your pity as a way to attach mm-hmm. rather than doing healthy emotional intimacy, which is let's share a little bit about ourselves, you know, in a measured fashion, because mm-hmm. you also want to watch out for gaslighters that will ask you like on a first date about deep, dark details about yourself, like your worst fears, um, your biggest losses in life. Cause again, they're not listening to that to build up emotional intimacy. They're listening right. to it for ammunition for later. Right. It's a recipe of how to hurt you. Right. And, and you'll also see that, that if you ask the same questions back, they answer very cagey and will not mm-hmm. give you a true answer because they know that they're possibly giving you ammunition because that's what they would do. Right. Well, and I explained it that my, my mother loved me and hated me in equal measure mm-hmm. because she could be very loving. She could be a very wonderful mother. And then she could just flip on a dime. And that's and what's, that's what's tricky is because, oh, well, go ahead, continue. No, no, no. But that's just it. And and so mm-hmm. just in explaining that you have that love and you have that connection and that's what you're trying to hold on to is that person. And it mm-hmm. doesn't, I didn't even have to do anything. Her mood, right. it, there was nothing I had to do to trigger it. It just happened right. and it was unexpected. And the next thing I know, I'm the worst thing in the world. Right. You know, and her life would be better without me. So it's it, it's that back and forth. And you mentioned also in your book, Dirty John, another example, something that most all of us are aware of, either from the podcast or the journalism or the the TV series. Right, right. That there's these relationships are not bad a hundred percent of the time. And I think that's another thing we need to look at is that, like you said, with your mom there were times where she was a loving, attentive mother. Mm -hmm. And then you see the flip side of it. And so that's something to look at too, is that you can have a relationship that 80% of the time where things great, but then you have that 20% of the time where there's emotional abuse and manipulation and gaslighting. It's still an abusive relationship, right? regardless of what percentage of time it is. And that's also the cycle of abuse is that you have a buildup of tension, you have the abusive incident, then you have remorse, and then you have you know, the cycle continues, but gaslighters usually won't apologize. You'll somehow wind up apologizing to them because they'll make you feel like you did something. Right. Whether that's saying like, well, if you didn't do this and I wouldn't have done this, or I didn't do that in the first place, which is the biggest one, or, you know, you're so difficult, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Or they'll bring up stuff like, oh, well, no wonder you and your sister don't talk anymore. It's because you act like this. That's the ammunition part. Right. So that's when they'll want to know, like, who do you not get along with in your family? Like, they'll directly ask you that. Or what are your biggest regrets? So you could say, oh, well, my sister and I don't get along anymore, whatever the thing is. And they will use that later on to, to show you how, you know, quote unquote, unstable you are. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a lot of ammunition. They will save up ammunition for years, yes. decades. <laughs> And so just one day, like 20 years ahead, they all of a sudden say something and you're like, how do they possibly remember that? But they can't remember regular stuff, you know? So I think that's another thing we need to look out for is that we are all possibly potentially prey to this type of personality. Yes. And again, to me, it's especially when you trust somebody Mm -hmm. and whether it's your boss or a friend or a family member or a partner, it, trust is a big part of that, and and affection. You know, it can mm-hmm. go e- either way, but it's once they've got you, it's very hard for them to let you go. Because right, 
even when I broke up with my mother and it just, I cut ties mm. and cut ties basically with most all of my family, not like mean, angry, spiteful, but it's like, mm. I have to, you, know, you circle the wagons in a way right. and just remove yourself. And I stopped returning her calls and she's, mm. <laughs> she left a message. You have to call me back or I'm going to call the police and just say that, you know, something must've happened to you. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, yeah, when, when you cut and, and not speaking specifically about your mom, because I don't, I don't know her, but um, when you are in a relationship, whether it's familial or romantic relationship with a gaslighter, they have this narcissistic need or they need to continue to fill their narcissistic supply mm-hmm. and they don't really care which way they get it, whether it's negative or positive attention. Right. So when that supply is threatened to be cut off, they get kind of frantic. And so they will do hoovering, which is to pull you back in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things about silent uh, treatment, which is where somebody just stonewalls you and just acts like you're not there instead of doing the normal human thing, which is communicating, <laughs> what, is to see how much you'll scurry to get their favor back. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a yardstick for them of what you will do when they cut it off. So you'll find that if you take the kind of bold and courageous step of of not responding to it and just going about your business or just going, you know what? Okay. Bye. And then they eventually will hit a point where they'll do anything to get you back in once they think they've lost you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the hoovering concept. Just like the vacuum yeah. is that you can try to get away, but a lot of times they will try to find you and bring you back in, including, you know, again, using the flying monkeys, people again, that wittingly or unwittingly don't realize that they're sending messages from the gaslighter to, to you because mm-hmm. gaslighters are very good at making things look good on the outside. Right. You'll even have you know, friends of your say to you, well, you know how you should just reconcile because you know, you didn't mean to do that. Or I don't know if that happened. And so you have people that you trust even saying that because these people are so good at looking okay Normal. in public yeah. because that's, yeah. that's part of their, their shtick, right? Is so they want to look good in public. So as soon as that layer comes off, you see what's underneath. Mm-hmm. So it's a very startling process for people. So I think that's what I look at too, is that when we look at, again, that we're, none of us are immune to this is that it's done in different ways yes. to really destabilize someone, to make someone really question whether they're okay. Yes. Or have other people question if that person is okay. Right. You know, right. And they'll also tell you, you know, that, that so-and-so thinks you're crazy. So-and-so, you know, knows that you're a problem. Your sister doesn't believe your brother doesn't believe you. And so the idea with that is that they're trying to isolate you even more so that you aren't going to possibly reach out to those people for support because you've been told that they think that you're crazy. And whenever you have a gaslighter tell you so-and-so says something about you, always assume that that's not true. Right. And you want to go directly to the source because the other thing they do is they will triangulate, which they will talk through people. Mm -hmm. They will pit people against each other and then they do the splitting phenomenon, which is putting you up on a pedestal, idealizing you, and then devaluing you, which means you fall off the pedestal and discarding you, which means you can do you can no longer do any right. Right. So they will pit people against you. They will cut off your resources. And again, that's all by design because they don't want to lose that narcissistic supply. This is not about love. This is about power and control. Yes. And I, I think as humans too, we tend to look at what's the potential of someone Versus what the reality is, because we all have hope, right? That's just part of the human condition is we have hope. So I think it's really important when we are with people that we look at what are they presenting with right now, not what the potential is in the future. 
Well, and you share in your book, one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou, when someone shows you who they are, believe them Mm -hmm. the first time. And most people forget the second part of that quote, the first time. Right. And that's human nature, right? Is that again, we like to, we tend to look for the good in people and that's kind of reinforced too, that, oh, look at, you know, the positives of things. But there's also a toxic positivity too. When when you look at the positives, you aren't taking into account the negative stuff that you're seeing too. Right. And it's not what the narcissist says, it's what they do. So they yes. can promise you the world, but what are they actually doing? Yeah. Like there's a concept that someone talked about called future faking, which is where they kind of <laughs> leave you breadcrumbs and say, well, you know, in the future, you know, when we might get married or what, you know, like they, they tap into whatever you want. Let's say you want to get married and have kids. So they'll say, uh, you know, oh, when we get married or, you know, you'd be a good parent or blah, 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 blah. But then the behavior doesn't match up. Mm-hmm. So the behavior is they treat you poorly. And then, you know, that commitment that they said they wanted just never surfaces. Right. So we, so that future faking is a common thing you see. And that could be in, in familial relationships too. You know, you have a sibling tell you, you know, we'll go on this trip together and everything's great and da, 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 but they never follow through on those things. So again, it's the way they treat you, not what they say that you really need to pay attention to. What they say is kind of meaningless. Right. Well, in my whole life, college will be paid for no matter where you want to go. Harvard, Yale, Oxford, mm-hmm. anywhere you want to go, college is paid for. I'm still paying off my student loans. <laughs> And I see that quite a bit in families where uh, there's also a threat of, of I'm going to disown you. Mm -hmm. That's a big one that's thrown around a lot. Like I'm going to disown you if, you know, you aren't a a good, you know, quote unquote, good kid or whatever the threat is that I'll disown you. You don't have any money. And yeah, like the college thing, I've seen that before where people will say, you know, your college is paid for, but then maybe it comes with a caveat of, but you have to go where I want you to go. Or, oh yeah, you know, I didn't think you're going to go to college. So I spent the money on something else. That's, that's a common one too. So I transferred into film school because college wasn't paid for me. So I went through junior mm-hmm. college to a state school and ended up at CalArts. My mother said to me, if you get in, I'll give you $1,000 for a tuition. Mm-hmm. Well, I got in. Mm-hmm. I'm as shocked as anybody. So it's getting toward, like, it's the day before I have to go to register, and I can't get any classes until I pay my tuition in full, and I need that $1,000. So I have to go to her with my handout, You just saying, you know, you made a promise, and mm-hmm. I need that money. Can I have it? And she said, well, when I said that, I didn't think you'd get in. Right. Or it's, or they'll pick a fight and then blame you and say, well, see, see, you're such a bad kid or such a sensitive kid or you're this and the other. So, you know, I don't think you really earned that money. It's a lot of earning. And then when, when you do get a gaslighter that offers you something and you mm-hmm. take it, then that is held over your head for the rest of your life. Yes. Yes. In many and- different ways it's brought up. I'm I'm cracking up because you know what you said they're going to start a fight and take it away. That was my trip to London. That was her idea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay for it. I've got a place for you to stay, and then starts a fight with me, takes it away. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's very systematic. Yeah, and it's it's sort of dizzying, but then you kind of cop onto it, and then you're like, mm-hmm. okay, so now I don't believe anything you say. I will believe it when it happens. 
you know, it, it's right. just, you have to find your own kind of coping skills when you're stuck in that and right. then decide how you're going to extricate yourself. And, and that's tricky when you're with healthy people too, because when you've been around people like that, you automatically, and for good reason, become suspicious when someone shows you who they are and it's a positive. Mm-hmm. And it can be really tricky for people sometimes that when they go out on their own or they decide that they're going to have a family of choice because their family of origin right. is pretty pathological. Because again, you can come up with a family of choice right? Um, that it can be really hard to trust people because you don't know what the motive is because gaslighters, narcissists, sociopaths will tell you really evil things, but with a smile. <laughs> yes. And... <laughs> So it's very incongruent. It doesn't make sense. And so when someone compliments you, which I've talked to a lot of people about this, if someone compliments you, automatically don't believe it because you think there's something attached to it. Right. Or there's going to be, a, you know, like gaslighters are really good at what I call the complicit, which I'm sure I didn't make that up. It's from somewhere else where they'll compliment you, but also throw in an insult at the same uh-huh. time. Like they can't just compliment you. So when someone compliments you, when you get out of that pathological relationship, you wonder when the insult's coming. Right. And, and also what do they want that they're complimenting me? Mm-hmm. A lot exactly. of people think that too, because that has been the pattern and it's normal to feel that way after, you know, you get out of those kind of abusive relationships and you, and you meet healthy people to put those same patterns on, because that's what our brains do, right? Is that we look for patterns. Yes. And that's why I think it's really important that when you leave this kind of toxic relationship, that you talk with someone about it, like a mm-hmm. mental health professional, because it's really important to learn what those patterns are and that you use them for good reason, you use them for survival. Right. And that you those patterns don't necessarily need to apply. Here's how you can, here's how you can sense that someone might be toxic, but at the same time, how do you know when someone is healthy too? Right. I was fortunate that I had um, my grandfather was sane. So mm-hmm. I had that to kind of balance out the crazy. My great aunt and her husband, my great uncle, we, we actually had a conversation when I was in my early 20s and they said, we see it too. Like, mm, and that's and, so validating. Oh my God, it saved my life. It totally did. Because mm-hmm. when you're in that kind of crazy and you're kind of the only sane one, right. um, to have somebody come in from the outside and, and say, we recognize it too. This isn't right. normal. This isn't sane. It shouldn't so, be happening right. at all. And you're not to blame. And so that was just truly life-saving. And then I had a therapist and, you know, I think a lot of us think we go to therapy to kind of fix ourselves so we can deal with broken people. Mm -hmm. And I had a therapist and we'd been going at it for like six months. And she said, you know, you don't have to have a relationship with your mother if you don't want to. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought, holy shit. Like, really? Because I thought that I was trying to build up some sort of armor or skill set to be able to tolerate that abuse. So I could go well, there that's for what holidays. we kind of treasure in like society, right? Is like yeah. this family and the role of family gets together. And and yeah, there's a concept of if people are are really pathological and they continue to manipulate you, you set boundaries, they continue to manipulate. You know, sometimes the only viable solution is to distance yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's a lot of judgment for that. Like when you Mm -hmm. come out and say, I don't have a relationship with my family, everybody Mm -hmm. looks at you like, well, what's fucking wrong with you? Well, uh, I, 
what's wrong with me is I like my sanity. What's wrong with me mm -hmm. is I like being happy. And mm -hmm. to expose myself to that, because the wounds are still there and she knows exactly where to poke them. I would much mm -hmm. rather get better than to constantly be having to tend to a wound or a scar. So, right. And, and healthy relationships, there's a sense of comfort and lifting up yes. of each other. And when you have a, a relationship where it's constantly back and forth and what am I getting from this person today? And what are they going to say to me? That is, that's not healthy. Right. And I think when you grow up in that, or you have had this in relationships, you start to feel that that's the norm. Mm -hmm. And or that's what you deserve. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also that there's a pattern too of when you're in those types of relationships, it's hard to see what is the norm mm -hmm. when you've been around that for so long. So you, so the opposite of a family that's constantly fighting isn't a family that never speaks to each other about stuff. Right. There's a, a middle ground. I think that's tricky when you're in a, in a gaslighting family where you're either arguing or stonewalling that the stonewalling, you know, not talking about your stuff isn't healthy either. So I think that's what counseling is helpful for too, is to figure out how do you navigate a healthy relationship? How do you identify healthy versus unhealthy? Mm -hmm. When do you realize that you're putting in much more emotional energy than the other person is? Right. And do you feel better being around this person or do you constantly feel guilt and shame? Right. And, and what is that about? And a lot of it has nothing to do with you. Yes which is really kind of hard, I think, for a lot of people to process because they've been told that they're the reason why they're the scapegoat, their sibling is the golden child, you know, or whatever family structure there is, mm -hmm. they're told it's their fault. And yet, like you said, when you go to therapy and someone says to you, hey, this is what I see, and you don't have to do this, that's really powerful. Very. And I, and I share that because if you are dealing with a gaslighter in any type of relationship, you don't have to work on yourself to make them better or to make the relationship right. better or the dynamic better. Right. Get help to find out what you need to do to set a boundary or mm -hmm. find a way to extricate yourself or whatever you've got to do. But it's, it's not about making that relationship better. Right. Well, and also that setting a boundary is a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing that counseling and also just reading up on this type of personality will help you learn what healthy boundaries are. Because if your family of origin is pathological, boundaries usually aren't respected or just are seen as something that that are that's obnoxious, quote unquote. And when boundaries are perfectly healthy things, and a boundary can be kind of dynamic, not just static, meaning that it can change based on your comfort level with people, based mm -hmm. on... Um, you know, the level of emotional intimacy. And, and I think that it's important to learn how to set those boundaries because there is kind of an art to it mm -hmm. and that the, the pathological family relationship will, will usually see those boundaries as a challenge. Yes, exactly. And they will blame you for being um, too sensitive or blame you for, you know, there's all sorts of ways that they tell you that you shouldn't have boundaries because when you have boundaries, you're pointing out, Hey, this is not okay with me. Right. And they will do any kind of attempt to discredit you and to tell you that you're being obnoxious by setting a boundary. And that's how you know you're doing it right. Exactly. And just to chip away at it and just to keep crossing that line and crossing that line. Because right. Because, they're, they're, because you've taken the power away. 
yes. from them. Yeah. Yes. And so that's like, I did set boundaries with my mother and said, look, I, mm-hmm. I don't need you to change who you are. I don't need uh, apologies or anything else. We can start with a clean slate, but here are my boundaries. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you can't be as polite to me as you would be to a stranger in your home, don't have me in your home. Like we, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's just, that's, that's just the basics. If, if you can't even And it's just, so easy to be kind to people, you know, yes. I mean, it's, it's so easy to be nice to people. For a two hour dinner. It really is. Like that's, yeah. you know, it's, this is, this is it. I'm not looking to make you wrong. I'm not looking right. to paint you as the villain, but just don't be an asshole. That's, I mean, <laughs> it's just what it comes that down to. A, that should be on a t-shirt. Just don't be an asshole. Yeah. Well, yeah, just mutual respect for people and kindness. Exactly. And, but that's and also truth, truthfulness with the emphasis on truth. You can be truthful with without being brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you can say to somebody, hey, what you did hurt me. And you can, and that's a healthy thing to say. But with the gaslighter, they'll give you their, their quote unquote version of truth. And mm-hmm. it's usually self-serving to them. Yes. And it is designed to be psychological warfare. Right. And I think that the nugget is gaslighters have no respect for you. And once you right. recognize that someone in your life doesn't have respect for you, you really need that to- You will read. never get what you want out of them. Yeah, exactly. Just even like the basics of don't be an asshole. If, if they right. can't even- right. Or, or nurturing. You know, there's, there, right. And then you look at the fact that there are people that for whatever reason- they're still 100% responsible for their behavior, but there are people for whatever reason are only capable of doing so much. Mm-hmm. And that usually has nothing to do with you. Right. And that's a really hard thing to have to come to terms with that the person that should have nurtured you or supported you didn't for whatever reason. Again, right. they're still 100% responsible, but that's a hard thing to look at. I think the fact that you know, you're know you talking about your great aunt and uncle and your relatives that, that believed you that's so important that that it's important that you look at who supports you, who has supported you in the past, mm-hmm. because if you're with a person like this, they will isolate you from them, especially oh, yes. if they see that they're a threat because they'll let you know what the truth is, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at that um, and you talk to those people, it really helps you reestablish that sense of self and yes. the, that validation that you spoke of too. So I think it's really important that we reach out to people that have helped us in the past yes. and reconnect with them. And that's part of the healing process. Yes. And, and being able to find friends that you can share this with and get support with. And definitely if you have dealt with a gaslighter at all, don't bullshit yourself. You need therapy. You have to mm-hmm. kind of just unravel it. If nothing else to just right. kind of purge it from your system, because some of it's really funny. I have to say like mm-hmm. just some, some of it is, is, because you can't believe somebody would actually say that out loud in front and of other people. And as time passes, it gets more and more outrageous. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's just kind of like, wow. So I have a good sense of humor about it because some of it's just, it really mm-hmm. is laughable. Well, but, and that's a therapeutic thing too, I think, to have a sense of humor about at some point is like, look at this crazy stuff, you know? So, <laughs> or you meet somebody that went through the same thing. We're like, oh yeah, did your, did your parent do this? Did your, you know, sibling do this? Huh? Uh-huh. You know? And there's that shared camaraderie about it. But yeah, yes. I think therapy and, and humor, and you, know, you can use also human therapy, um, can be a real healing factor. Yes. And that's the thing is you, you can get over it and get through it. And the wounds are very deep and they're mm-hmm. always going to be tender. I, I will say that. But you look for people that are tender with your tender spots. Mm-hmm. 
And yes. also will call you out gently when you're BSing somebody too. Oh yeah. I think, that, and, and that whole thing of a healthy relationship is to, to see and be seen, heard and be heard. Mm-hmm. And again, be tender with your tender spots, but also say, Hey, what you're doing, that's not cool that you did that thing. And that's done in a loving way. It's not pathological for someone to say to you, Hey, I have some concerns about what your behavior was. That's right. not pathological. That's a healthy relationship where you're able to say to somebody, Hey, you hurt me. This is what happened. Um, it's not stuffing everything inside. I think that's an important distinction um, to look at is that in healthy relationships, you do have open communication. Mm-hmm. And then recognizing when you, you yourself are being defensive, because mm-hmm. that's part of it is, you know, you, you've had to self-protect for so long right? that, that the defenses just come up and it's very hard. Well, it took me a long time to really be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, because Be vulnerable and know that you weren't going to get attacked for it. it. And even if it hurt, even without attack, but even if, if there was some pain because of that vulnerability, like that's normal. That's okay. Like that's not right. the end of the world. This wasn't an attack. It was just right. life. It's, it's a lot. And I, I think that we all are going to have to get really educated on, on coming through and getting out of this experience because right. It has, we're just much more aware of it and much more sensitive, I think, about mm-hmm. it. But really understanding the difference between being manipulated or being lied to, and then again, being right. gaslit because right. it's there, it is apples, oranges, and bananas, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also good to look at attachment style too. You know, there's anxious attachment, mm-hmm. avoidant attachment, and then a combination. And I think it's important to look at that, that, when you have lived with a person like this, there can be a very real fear of abandonment. And, oh, yeah. and, the, and because you're told that you're the source of all the conflict and all the problems instead of that person taking responsibility, you know, when you're in a relationship and someone says, Hey, you know, I I'm having a bad day or whatever. You, the person that has been a survivor gaslighting may say, well, what did I do that they had a bad day? When it could just be that they've had a bad day. Right. And I think that's an important thing in therapy too, to look at is that, that very rarely in life are things personal, that mm-hmm. people own their own stuff. And that gets into the whole concept of codependency. I know that's kind of culture bound to um, meaning that codependency is not always codependency depending on your culture. Um, but that's looking at that you are responsible for your behavior yes, and your choices, and you're not responsible for how other people feel. Right. And, and that's something, again, that you can work through. And, and um, there are several really good books out there on, attachment styles and, um, you know, growing up, I think it's growing up with a borderline parent. I think it's on my website, recommended books. I have a, I have a list of books recommended for gaslighting and, and, uh, I think it's raised by a borderline parent is the name of it. And that's a really good one talking about, um, how that translates into how you cope with things when you grow up mm-hmm. that it can feel like people aren't very stable, even, even if they are. And you kind of question motives. And it may be that you're subconsciously drawn to people with pathology because that was what you knew. So that's where the therapy part comes in is to, again, identify why you may be attracted to certain people that mm-hmm. may not, not be good for you. Yeah. And that there is some control over that. I mean, we like to think that maybe we're hardwired and we're only attracted to certain people. But, you know, at some point there is a choice that you make. Mm-hmm as to who you want to get involved with. That's not just romantic relationships, that's friendships. Right. You know, when do you know if a relationship is balanced, meaning it's equal give and take? 
Because mm-hmm. what you see in a gaslighting relationship is that you give, 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 and the other person never gives back. Right. Or just what enough you to give keep is you never giving. good enough for them. Yes. Right. Yes. Got to dangle right. that carrot. Right. And, and I think you mentioned too, something like that, you know, sometimes feeling bad is it's okay to not feel okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I think sometimes when you go through that type of relationship and you, and you're out of it and you're getting into healthy relationships, there is sometimes going to be conflict in healthy relationships Yes, because that's how you work through stuff. And again, I think the tendency is that if you've been in that kind of high conflict, you look for relationships where there's no conflict. And again, not talking about stuff isn't healthy either. Right. So it's finding that kind of middle ground where, you know, what is a healthy relationship? What is my role in a healthy relationship? How do I identify it as such? And what can I do when I feel like I don't feel safe emotionally in this relationship? Mm -hmm. Is it something that's happening in the relationship? Is it something that I'm concerned is going to happen? And again, that's where talking with someone that specializes in narcissistic abuse and attachment style that can really help you figure out, you know, maybe I've, I have some patterns from the trauma that I received from this person mm-hmm. that I'm applying to things now. Maybe it's not necessarily in my best interest to do that. Right. Well, and, and learning how to fight constructively because. Right. Then you can, yeah, the arguing is normal. You know, right. there's when couples come in to see me and they are fighting all the time, that's concerning. And when they're not talking at all about stuff, that's also equally concerning. Uh, because you, if you don't talk about stuff, you hold it in and it usually eventually comes out later, whether it's resentment, hostility, um, you know, like an explosion of some kind. So it's yeah, learning that style where you have maybe even, I, I teach people how to do um, kind of scheduled arguments and we call them arguments instead of fighting is fighting as a connotation of violence to it. And so right. arguing is just stating your point. And there is a very structured way you can discuss things with, with good boundaries. And again, you know, that I'll give an example of the attachment of uh, the anxious attachment. If you get into a disagreement with your partner and your partner says, I need like 10 minutes to cool off the person, with anxious attachment will go, why, when are you coming back? Why, what are you doing? And they'll maybe follow the person into their safe place. When you have avoidant attachment, if there's any kind of conflict, you just split. Mm-hmm. You, you, because you know that getting into that kind of thing, you know what that results in in your in your family of origin. So we really need to look at what our attachment style is. And then there's secure attachment, which means I'm okay, you're okay. Anxious attachment is I'm not okay, you're okay. And avoidant attachment is you know I'm okay, you're not. So we really need to look at you know I'm okay, you're okay, which is we respect each other's boundaries. We care about each other's needs. We care about each other's welfare. And we also have the right to say when something has hurt us mm-hmm. because we're human and that's what happens right. in relationships. And that it's not healthy to, to shut down or to feel like if you bring up something that that person's going to go after you for it. That's right. not a healthy relationship. Right. And, and healthy relationships are out there. I mean, they, they, they and they require maintenance. It's kind, kind of like a plant. <laughs> I don't want to like, you know, be reductive, but that's exactly you know, how you I have to tend relationships. to it. Yeah. I say their relationships are a garden you have to tend to, and you have to do that daily. Mm-hmm. Right. And that also includes tending to yourself too. Yes. Yes. As the gardener of your, of your stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that 
sometimes people just need to take some space to think about stuff. And that's okay. That, that, that doesn't necessarily mean abandonment, but you know, you talk about it at a time and you say, well, when are, you know, how much time do you think you need? How about we set up a thing? Are you going to check in with me every day while you're doing your alone time? Because sometimes people just need alone time because we've been in a pandemic altogether. <laughs> and it's important to, I think, say, you know, if you need alone time, the purpose of that, and then when you're coming back. Mm-hmm. And right. and people that have anxious attachment usually tend to subconsciously find people with avoidant attachment, vice versa. Right. So you may have seen that play out in relationships where one person goes, you know, what did I do something? You know, why are you upset? And then the other person is like, I, I'm not talking about this, right? So that's you kind of find that and that kind of replicates the sometimes the gaslighting relationship that you had in your family mm-hmm. of origin. Right, right. So again, therapy, yay. Yay. No, seriously, seriously, do it. I think everybody at, at least once in their life needs to do it. It's just, and, and you're going to find people that don't like you for whatever reason. You're going to find people that don't treat you the way you want to be treated. And that is their issue, not yours. Right. And I think that's another thing that you learn when you're gaslit and, and suffer abuse and trauma is that again, you know, like you said, things are pointed towards you that I did this because you did X. No, you did X because of some need that you had mm-hmm. that is independent of me. And that's a really powerful thing to learn. Yes. No, and and I hope that once we kind of crawl out of this, we're recording this on New Year's Eve day, so we're not quite in 2021 yet, but mm-hmm. um, Australia is. But um, it's oh, that's right! Happy yeah. New Year, Australia! Yay. Going forward, I hope that we will learn to again have respectful discourse between mm-hmm. the two parties and not have it be so combative. And so, and it may take some time. Yes. It may. And I'll also say too, that if there are people that you discovered over the the past year that you are so diametrically opposed to value wise, like they have racism or sexism, there's nothing that says that you have to rekindle those relationships. Correct. I've read some things about, you know, oh, it's time to reconcile. There are some people you just can't reconcile with because your, your values are so incompatible. Well, again, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. And the first time, the first time, but now we've seen it. We know who you are. We know how, and yes, to a degree, people can change. Absolutely. So that reconciliation will happen when there's change. Mm -hmm. So to just say bygones are bygones, that's bullshit. You need to do the Mm -hmm. work. You need to kind of prove that you're not an asshole anymore. And then we can have that conversation. But just like you said, like, oh, we're just going to wipe the slate clean. And no, absolutely not. Right. And, 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 and practice self-compassion. I think that's something too, when you, when you're the victim of a gaslight or survivor of one Mm -hmm. is that it's, it's really easy to beat yourself up about stuff but not so easy to be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so practice a lot of self-compassion, just understand that, you know, and in, in the spirit of healing yourself and making yourself feel okay, mm-hmm. there are some people that, that you may just need to not have as much contact with yeah. as an act of self-compassion for you. Yes. And that's okay. It's absolutely okay. And it's probably the healthiest thing I could do was to make that and also decision. one of the hardest too. Very, very. So the best decisions can also be the hardest ones. Yes. It's not 
anything I regret. It's mm-hmm. definitely made me healthier because it's hard to get better when you're drinking poison. Right. And so if, if when you're exposing yourself to that harm, to that behavior, to that pain, to that back and forth, like I'm attached, I'm not, you know, Oh, you're a great kid. No, you're not. You're a great kid. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's really no way to go forward. So, you know, do what you need to do for you and get the help and support that you need. But when you things get better, Oh, they so get better. Like just amazing. Like I have amazing people in my life who accept me Mm -hmm. for me. uh, Right. Warts and all. Right. Because we're imperfect people. And and that's the other thing to look at too, is that we are not meant to be perfect people that it's okay to have imperfections. Again, if you grew up with parents that had this kind of behavior, you may have tried to be as good of a kid as possible. So you didn't get abused, but abusers, you could be a perfect person and they will still come after you. So it's, it's healthy to acknowledge that you have imperfections and to Mm -hmm. embrace those when you get out of that kind of toxic environment and that you don't have to be perfect all the time to get people's connections or whatever. Again, you know, people that love you, truly love you, who you are, know that you have imperfections and they embrace those. Again, Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll kind of call you out too, if they, if that imperfection has caused them pain (laughs) um, and that's healthy. But yeah, I think that's important because I see people too come from relationships where their parents were were pathological and they get into perfectionist mm-hmm. behavior. And again, like metaphorically beat themselves up. Like if someone doesn't respond the way that they want them to respond and, but that's that person's right. It doesn't right. mean that it's unhealthy. Right. And it's not about you. It's about them. Right. Right. And learning that I think really helps decrease a lot of grief, anxiety, depression, when you realize that you are not responsible for other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's not your fault. If, right. you're, if, you're, if you find yourself with somebody who is broken or bad, I'll just say it, mm-hmm. it's not your fault, but right. you need to really take responsibility for yourself and how you can protect yourself. And really at the first sign, strike some distance. And that will tell you a lot about who they are by how they react. And then you'll know what you should do that's healthy and safe. Right. Or just keep growing that distance because it's once they get their hooks into you, it's so much harder to get out of. Right. And, and, and we can just, even if you haven't experienced it personally, we've seen the damage to this country, to, mm-hmm. to, our discourse, just to just about every aspect of American life right now, we've seen the damage and we've got a long right. way and to it, go. And if that brings up past trauma for you, it's really important to talk to someone because there are a lot of people that the administration and the pandemic have brought up a lot of trauma. You know, mm-hmm. um, I had a, a psychiatrist, uh, Rick Moskowitz in my podcast that talked about how we have these memories of our trauma and that sometimes something happens and it kind of is the key to it that opens that lock of, of memories mm-hmm. and that we'll have stuff come flooding back that we may have really suppressed just to get through the day and compartmentalize. And then when you see something like the gaslighting on the national stage, or mm-hmm. you, you see that um, just sometimes a blatant disregard for other people's health um, that can really trigger 
you remembering some stuff and it's really important you talk to somebody about that. I've seen a lot of people that have had increased sleep issues, Mm -hmm. uh, relationship issues from the trauma has come back. Yes. And that has been a very common thing that I've seen, especially in the last four years. Again, yes. seeing this kind of behavior on the national stage. Yes. It's it's something, well, let's put it this way. I cracked a filling. There's all that from sleeping mm-hmm. so tense. <laughs> mm-hmm. It happens. Yeah. It does. Yeah. But I can't recommend your book enough. So if you are trying to get through or heal from gaslighting, please do pick up Dr. Sarkis's book. And thank you again for being here, Dr. Sarkis. Oh, you are so welcome. My pleasure. Anytime. It's always a great conversation with you. You can find Dr. Sarkis on Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Stephanie Sarkis, on Instagram at Sarkis PhD, on Facebook at Stephanie Sarkis PhD, and her website, stephaniesarkis.com. And again, her latest book is Gaslighting, Recognize manipulative and emotionally abusive people and break free. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this sassy little podcast, please subscribe to it, rate it, and review it, and tell your friends about it. To contribute to the podcast and help keep it ad free, consider becoming a member of the community at sassylittlepodcast.com. Until next time, take care. <laughs>